Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. This is episode number 82 and I'm Brooke McCallery. Very happy to have you here, Ben. Thank you. Thank you very much. How are you going? (laughs) I literally just kicked the bucket. (laughs) This show has literally kicked the bucket. This is our last podcast. Kick in the bucket. For this week. (laughs) It's like the equivalent of clickbait. You won't believe what my guest said. What? Who is your guest this week? Actually, don't tell me. Click here to find out more. Listen to find out more. My guest is Mike Campbell of liveimmediately.com. He's uh, an Australian guy, a dad, husband, who about 12 months ago with his wife and daughter decided that they were going to up sticks and travel across the states for a year um so awesome so awesome (laughs) we have so much like jealousy and envy is the wrong word but i super enjoy watching their trip unfold and the way that they've gone about it is a little more out of the box than a lot of sort of stories that we've heard so it's um it's like a pleasure to talk to him about it and dig into that and the process that kind of kicked the whole thing off and you know, where they're at now and where they're heading and, and what's going to change in the future. So it's it was a really good conversation. It's an inspiring story, really, for Mike. Well, it is because it's like the turnaround hasn't been years and years and years, first of all. Yeah. And the way they've done it is not like they're not, you know, just minted and being able to drop everything and go when they want no. and, and how they want, no. which like fair enough is not most people's stories exactly. either, but um, you know, they were creative about, you know, how to best afford it and how to structure their trip. And with that, of course, came, you know, a certain level of flexibility that they needed to, to kind of approach the trip with. And I really enjoyed talking to him about that because I think sometimes we get these ideas in our heads, what this, this kind of change or trip or the lifetime or whatever is going to look like. And they basically said, let's kind of see. Like, let's get steps number one and two maybe sorted and let's just see, which I think is awesome. Very cool. Yeah. Very you cool. know, I think it's something that I talk about a lot both on this podcast and on Let It Be with Kel that – the idea of just sitting with uncertainty and being okay with it and just going, yeah, no, I can see you there and I'm not entirely sure what's happening, but let's go for it. Yeah. Which I think is is really cool. So It's what we're trying to do, but I think that he's on another level. But I've actually had this conversation. I've had a conversation with Mike separately. I know. Secretly. Secretly. You actually, he interviewed you for his podcast, which hasn't let yet launched, but it will be coming out in the next month or so and I'll be sure to let everyone know when it does because I think it's going to be excellent. But um, he interviewed you while we were in Canada, which was yeah. kind of cool. Seriously hungover. <laughs> You're so professional. So that will be a very, very interesting conversation. I can't remember any of it. <laughs> Kidding. He's a really good guy and I, we had a great discussion actually. Yeah, I, I haven't heard it obviously so i'm looking forward to it hearing it it was your first solo interview yep so i think he's mike's got some really awesome interviews already lined up and i'm looking forward very much to his show launching so i'll be certain to tweet that out and facebook it and, and point everyone in his direction um but yeah he's this was a, a really cool conversation and uh i 
pretty much just want to head off and <laughs> travel around the States now. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, oh, actually, before I I uh, let you go <laughs> to, to the next part of the, <laughs> the podcast, uh, head over to liveimmediately.com. That's where Mike lives and you can find all of his social media accounts and everything there. He's a... Um, a bit of an Instagram user as well. Oh, yeah, his photos, photos. His photos are spectacular. Yeah, they're sensational just as they, they, they travel around and then as they, they stop in place for a while and get to know it. It's um, Yeah, he talks about the dogs that he's pet sitting at the moment in our conversation and they're pretty rad. Like you need to go and check them out. <laughs> so enjoy the conversation with Mike and I'll see you some other time. <laughs> Mike, how are you? Very well, thanks, Brooke. How are you? I'm excellent, actually. Thank you for asking. It's, it's really, really, I was just saying before we, um, we hit record, so nice to put a voice to like the name and the blog. I've been reading your blog, Live Immediately, um, and <laughs> staring wistfully at your photos of your trip across the States. So it's, um, it's lovely to, to actually chat to you about it. Oh, thank you. And, and, and ditto. I, uh, I feel like I already know you because of your podcast and, and the journey that it has taken, my wife, Inger, and I, but um, it is lovely to speak to you. Yeah, it's, it's something else to kind of just connect as like real people. Um, so you're on this amazing trip across the States and I can't wait to talk about that some more with you. But can you tell, tell us where are you right now? So right now, uh, I'm in Breckenridge, Colorado. Um, the house, uh, we are house sitting and pet sitting. We're, um, looking after two dogs at this house, dude and Timmy, they're Pekingese, I think. Um, but Timmy is paralyzed from the waist down. So he wears a nappy, um, that I change four times a day, um, which covers up which collects the liquid part of him, but not anything right. else. So, so that is um, a bit of a minefield that you, you see something and you get some toilet paper. Um, it's literally a my, minefield. It, it is. My, my daughter uh, is Anderson, uh, Andy for short. She is, is nearly five. So we've been out of the nappies for a while. And it's interesting. I didn't think that a, a dog would put me back into the nappy phase. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But another interesting fact is the house that we're at. So Breckenridge, we're in the Rocky Mountains of Colorado. Um, I think the town of Breckenridge is at nearly 10,000 feet. Uh, The house that I think that we're at is at maybe 10 and a half, 11,000 feet. Mount Kosciuszko, I believe, is at about seven and a half thousand feet or something like that. (laughs) So I'm, I'm like... Higher than uh, all of Australia, it's amazing. Ah, oh, far out. So, did you get did you get altitude sickness at that height, at that elevation, or? Yeah, it's funny you say that. We we did. Um, you know, I wasn't didn't have bleeding noses or anything like that. But for the first few days, both Ingrid and I had headaches. Um, 
I, restless in sleeping. Um, our daughter Andy, she like she's anaphylactic, but she also has um, asthma when she gets like a chest cold or something like that. So I was really worried about because the there's not as much air the higher you go up but she seems to be fine um if we go for like long hikes or i'm running around with andy at the park i find i'm breathless a bit more i'm i'm blaming that on the altitude not 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 being 36 and unfit um so <laughs> definitely the altitude it's fine yeah exactly <laughs> So can we go back? I, I'm really looking forward to talking to you some more about your trip and the why behind it and also the how. But can we kind of go back a little bit, go back about 12 months ago to before you guys sold and donated basically everything you own and jumped on a plane to the States. What was life like for you a year ago, 18 months ago? Uh, so we live in... Newcastle, Australia, um, which is two hours north of Sydney, right on the beach. Our house is about five minutes from the beach. Um, I was a marketing manager for a property developer um, who was based in Sydney, but I I didn't have to travel down to Sydney all the time. Inga, my wife, she is a graphic designer and illustrator. She has her own business, Inkling Design. Um, So she would work at home as she has been for since we moved to Newcastle in 2011. She's got a little studio out the back. Andy was three and a half, going to daycare, things like that. Um, And then we were kind of just living the normal life. I wasn't really, to be honest, I wasn't really loving my job. I felt there was something missing. Um, Inga was really kind of stressed and busy with work and she'd just be like, you know, is, is this it kind of Mm. thing? Um, and Inga was seeing a psychologist about, she had a lot of anxiety, um, about a lot of things and things were just playing on her mind. And it was really hard for me because I don't, this is kind of really bad to say, I I didn't really understand that side of her. Mm -hmm. I didn't really understand anxiety and all that kind of stuff. And then one day we kind of stumbled on minimalism. Mm-hmm. And and I kind of don't really like saying that word. I don't I don't see myself as a minimalist or anything like that. But we we stumbled on this this thing and it was all about like living with less and purging your belongings and things like this. And so I kind of brought it to the table with Inga. I was like, "Hey, this is this thing. Do you want to do you want to give it a go? And we played the minimalist game where you throw one thing out one day to the next day, three the next day for a month, which I know um, you've spoken about before. Um, and Inga kind of went along for the ride. She was like, cool, if this is one of your things, Mike, let's do it. <laughs> and she she loved the whole kind of spring cleaning. And like Inga's a designer and like our house is, is beautiful and, and it's definitely not cluttered at all before this. But she was like, great, I've always wanted – you to kind of clean certain things, Mike, let's do this. As we went through that game though, it was, and since you're doing, you know, it's each day, there's a, a process that kind of takes place and, you know, it really helped Inga's anxiety and it kind of really changed both of our mindsets on a lot of things. Um, and yeah, that's kind of where we're at about a year ago. Yeah. It's, it's, not dissimilar, I guess, to 
my you know my process where I stumbled across this idea of minimalism as well and started out by just letting go of stuff and it was like a lot of stuff and it's phenomenal to me the impact like a seemingly small decision like that is like yeah sure let's get rid of some stuff the impact that it has had on my life and then I mean from where I sit on your life as well as a family to to it's such a, a massive massive change that starts with you know one thing literally for you guys it started with one thing and then two things mm. and three things so i mean how like it, it it's funny like on that sorry to cut you off brooke no. like it's funny on that like i don't like w- when you say it started with one thing that is so true and i i did not believe that that going through that process or changing your mindset about possessions would have a huge effect on us. And yes, it's had that effect of us traveling overseas, which we'll get to later, but, but also on saving money because Mm -hmm. you, you, you don't need certain things. And then you start to go, well, if I don't need the money, if I don't want to buy that thing, or I don't need money for that thing. So do I need to be working these long hours do i could i be working four days a week do i need to have this job that's paying me 100k plus that's stressing me out and i'm working at night and working weekends or can i take that job for less money but i'm going to enjoy it and that enjoyment might be i get there at nine and i leave at five and i can have more time with my family do you know what i mean like it's not it's it's not just about having a clean home. Like uh, like I find that having less possessions with minimalism is is a byproduct. Absolutely, there's there's so much more that kind of goes with it. Yeah, for me the stuff issue is completely secondary. You know, it's it's on the peripheral. It's it, the impact. Like that's where it began. So I can understand that that's where people focus their attention on making this change to your home, to the stuff you keep, the things that you hold dear. But I think once you get to a certain point, and I think that point is different for everyone, it starts to bleed over into other areas of your life. And to me, that's where the, the massive benefit is. And I'm, I'm with you. I, I kind of am hesitant to use the word minimalism because to me that still emphasises stuff or a lack of stuff, mm. whereas to me the, the stuff isn't, isn't the point at all. It's about the impact that it can have on every aspect of your life. Like, Inga, like, like you mentioned, Inga's anxiety started to ease a little and you were able to entertain the idea of taking a different job that might leave space for family and more adventure and happiness and, you know, downtime and, and just white space. So... It's yeah. I, I just find it fascinating that so many people I've spoken to have have found themselves on the same trajectory. You begin with stuff maybe because you've just got too much of it, or you just want less of it. You want to not have to clean so much, and it very quickly becomes about so much more than that. Mm. And 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 you don't know that until you you go through it and you take some time and you reflect. Yes. Do you know what I mean? And bec- and that journey will be different for everyone. Like I even found with Inga and I, you know, we were two people going down the same path, but we were having completely different journeys. Because mm-hmm. um, for me, it's funny. For me, it was it, it gave me space to think. I, I I'm usually and I still am. 
I, I, I usually talk fast and I'm thinking fast and I, I don't often think before I, I speak. But what this did, it kind of just gave room. Like, is, is this what I want to do? Is this super important for me? And that doesn't mean that everything I do, I'm completely loving, but it means that I, I intentionally make space or time for the things that I do love. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's really the key for, for me anyway, that idea of intention. Like, absolutely, there's things that still exist in life that you don't enjoy doing or, you know, that, that aren't like your ideal. It's life and it's not just about what we want. We don't live in a vacuum, you know, but it's about intentionally making space, leaving room for, for the things that are important and putting the things that aren't as important in their place and not letting them, you know, take over. Mm. So, um, I mean, practically speaking, how did that process go with your daughter who was sort of three and a half at the time? Did you involve her with the, like the, the decluttering or was that something that you, it was just your, yourself and Inga? No, most definitely. Obviously, Andy's room was the messiest in the house. Um, but it, it wasn't, hey, Andy, you've got to do this. You've got to give us one thing tonight and two things tomorrow night. It wasn't that at all. A lot of, a lot of this kind of happened when she was asleep. Um, You know, we were going through stuff. But then we would talk to her about it and then I'd go into her room and I'd say, oh, oh, Andy, as you know, mummy and daddy have been giving up things that we don't need and we're donating them to people that that need them more. Instantly, Andy just grabbed a toy and she's like, I I don't play with this Mm -hmm. one anymore if someone else wants it. And then I'm like, okay, great. And I came out and I told Inga, look, Andy just gave us this toy. Then Andy came out with a whole pile of stuff. I had to go through it because a lot of it was like half things, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, well, why don't we keep that half but give me that other half of something? And she actually did that twice through the process, which I thought was was really nice. And it, and she kind of – I don't think she really understands mm. that process. I think definitely now that we've been on holidays, she does um, – but I'll get to that later. I've got a story about that later when we talk about the holiday. Actually, I'll talk about it now. Do. So obvi- obviously now that we're traveling, and even when you travel, you can't take too much stuff with you, especially your kids' toys and things like that. Um, when your parents align with the minimalist side of the fence, you take even less stuff. When we were living in Clam Lake, Wisconsin, which was the place that we stayed at um, on our first house sit looking after two cats – which is a town of 37 people in the north woods of Wisconsin. So it was over winter, so it was snowing and all that kind of stuff. Andy was the youngest person in the town. I was the second youngest person. Um, The closest big town was 40 minutes away. So as you can understand, Andy didn't really have too many little humans to play with. And she didn't have too many toys. But one day I see her playing with a cardboard box and she has tipped it up a particular way. She's put another box on top. She's making herself a little dollhouse. She comes out to me and she's like, dad, I want to put like a, like a level here, like a floor. What could I do? And I'm like, well, what do you think? She's like, if I could just slide something in there. I was like, okay. And so I, I obviously helped her do certain things, but she came up with all the ideas. This dollhouse, this cardboard dollhouse just grew and grew and grew. She comes to me, dad, I need a lift. Now, anyone that knows me, like I can't hammer a nail. I'm not the, I'm not that handy. And she's, she wants to now a lift, a cardboard lift. And Andy wants everything 
precise. You know, I need the buttons. I need this. We figured out a way with a rope and a pulley system to create this cardboard lift. Now, she played with that thing for weeks and weeks and weeks. And the, the thing grew. Whenever there was an extra cardboard box, it grew and grew and grew. The moral of that story is <laughs> that cardboard dollhouse would never existed if she had had all the toys that she had back home. Mm. You know what I mean? And, and I, I'm, I always say that I believe that minimalism isn't about living with less, it's about living with more. And, and that's a great example of it. Like she had so much fun with that, her and I bonding over building this together and, and coming up with different ideas. You don't have that when you have a room full of toys. Well, I think that's it. You know, it, their kids are resourceful and their imaginations, if they've got the space to to expand, will do so. You know, and I think it, that that would be an amazing experiment. I think just to see how kids who, I mean, and I guess it, it is slightly different because you guys are traveling, so you've got the like the novelty of new places and experiences and things like that. But still, to just see how how amazing how amazing their imaginations are when they're given that space and that room to grow uh, mm. you know it makes you realize that kids and adults alike need like a hell of a lot less than we think we do <laughs> in order to be happy and 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 you also just need to be bored yes like amazing things come out of boredom and even if it is just quietness I'm a big fan of boredom, like for myself and for my kids. You know, I often in the afternoon, I'll just send them outside. Oh, we're bored. Well, <laughs> find something to do. You have a big backyard. Mm. There's gardens to dig in. There's, you know, balls to kick around. There's a cubby house to play in. Like, go and use your imagination. Be bored. And if that's the worst that comes out of it, then I'm okay with that because guaranteed <laughs> they they complain about being bored for about three minutes and then the next time you check on them they're engrossed in something mm -hmm. yeah that's that's fantastic so the minimum like your your discovery of minimalism and the process of letting go of a lot of your stuff did you know when you were going through that that you wanted to make a change or was that just something that that came to you and you decided that you wanted to try it out well we definitely we definitely knew we wanted a change in our life. Mm -hmm. Traveling to America for a year for a year was definitely not on the table of change. It was just more about, you know, was I happy being a marketing manager? Was that really what I wanted to do? Um, you know, Inga's anxiety, how do we fix this? Do, do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. that we just we knew something needed to change. What needed to change, we didn't know what that was and what it was going to change to, we didn't know what that was either. Um, but the process kind of led us down that path. Inga has always wanted to live overseas and work overseas and America was always on the list of that. And, you know, in 2009, we had done a road trip from Austin, Texas to New York for a month, um, obviously before Andy was born. And, and um, I proposed to Inga when we were in New York in 2009. So she, both of us have been to America before and, and you know, we, we, do, we love the country. Um, and one day she was just like, and she, she'd said this to me before, Mike, why don't we just go live overseas for a year? But previously I was like, no way, we can't do that. I've got, I've got a job. We've got a house. We've got a mortgage. We've got to work hard until we're 65 and then we're going to retire. And then Inga will do whatever you want to do. And, and 
after we were going through this process, obviously she hit me up when I wasn't loving my job. Um, we were in a position, you know, we moved to Newcastle when when housing prices were were good to buy, so our mortgage was kind of low. And she hit me up. She's like, why don't we just, you know, why don't we just go somewhere for a year? Why don't we go to America for a year? I was like, okay, great. And then I'm straight, straight away, how are we going to afford that? How are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? Blah, blah, blah. But never once did we say, like, what are we going to do with our stuff? Yeah. You know, <laughs> like we said, yeah, what are we going to do with our mortgage? And we worked through all of those, you know, how are we going to kind of get through this? And then once we decided, okay, cool, we really want to do this. Um, what are we going to do with our house? Okay, we're going to have to rent it out, blah, blah, blah. How are we going to afford this? Obviously, affordability was a big thing. Mm. There was no, no way that we could just travel around America for, for a year pa- paying for everything. Yeah. Um, with Inga's work, we could take that with us anywhere there was internet connection, but we couldn't then kind of rent an RV, which was kind of the affordable way of doing things because we wouldn't have internet connection in the RV and stuff. And we landed on house sitting and pet sitting. And we were like, well, these people need someone to look after their pets. We need a home. This is going to kind of work really well. And we were like, we'll just do four months somewhere here, four months there, four months there, four months there. This is going to be the best year. And we thought it was going to be super easy. Wow. <laughs> that was a rude shock. Um, it was really hard in the sense of you don't get to choose where you want to go and and it's hard to find places. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, were, we were searching. We Googled and went house-sitting, pet-sitting, and uh, the two websites that we used were trustedhousesitters.com and housecarers.com. So we paid, I think, $100 for one and $50 for the other, created some profiles about us that, you know, we're professional couple in there mid-30s with a young daughter wanting to go on an adventure, blah, blah, blah. You know, own our, own our own home so we understand looking after yours. And uh, for three months I was emailing people every night, every night, trying to kind of sell my family, spruik my family. And it got to the point where we were like, this isn't going to happen. But we had already emotionally <laughs> departed yeah. emotionally departed you know what i mean absolutely and then i was like okay we want to do this we can't afford accommodation we're trying this house care stuff over here what's another thing we can do and then i started to go okay what are affordable countries to go to and i you know obviously bali is close to australia so we we looked at that and i started researching like renting an apartment for a year in Bali. Like, is that the option that we're going to do? Um, if you want to know, you can get a two bedroom condo for about 8,000 US a year. Um, if you do want to travel, um, obviously we still wanted to go to America. We 
finally got like a reply back. You know, we had a Skype conversation with this beautiful couple in um, Wisconsin who were in their 60s wanting to get away from the winter um, down to South America for four months, but they had two cats. And um, through this Skype conversation, um, Dan said to me, he's like, well, if you guys decide to come here, you'll need to blah, blah, blah. And I just cut him off. I went, whoa, 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 Dan, it's got, it's got nothing to do with if I decide to come here. If you say that you'll accept us, we're there. And he said, well, I really like you and Inga and Andy. We'd love you to look after our house and our cats. And it was, it was so weird. I, I remember this day so well. It was, it was a Saturday morning in like July and it was a beautiful kind of winter's day. And we were meeting up with some friends for lunch at Merriweather, which is a beach in Newcastle. And obviously all of our friends knew that we were trying to do this. And we went down and saw Lauren and Todd and Inga and I just kind of saw them. And we sat down and they're like, how are you? And we're like, we're going to Wisconsin. <laughs> and it was, it was so weird. And it was re- that was actually the most frightening part because it was like, oh, now this is real. Yeah, it's happening. Like, yeah. It's really easy and exciting to talk plans and ideas, but then like you got to put, you know, put your money where your mouth is and, and do it. That would be kind yeah. of terrifying and kind of exhilarating. It, it, it was, and we only had, oh, what, like five months to kind of pull it all together. And, but you know what? Everything fell into place. We didn't, we didn't know anything. We really didn't, but we worked stuff out. And when we got on that plane on the 20th of December and we flew to America, all we knew was where we were going to sleep until the 1st of May. That's it. We didn't have anything else planned, but both Inger and I had said to each other, if we come home on the 1st of May, because that's, we can't find any others, it's still going to be worth it. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's a four month holiday and that's kind of how we saw it. But then the, Sorry? No, no, no. You're, please go on. I, I was going to say, but then once we're over here and we sent more emails and all that kind of stuff, and once you got one under your belt and, and things like that, things just kind of fell into place, you know, and, and um, we've, got the, we've got the whole year sorted out, except for maybe the last week, if I can get to California. Okay. <laughs> Anyone's listening, yeah. need a house sitter in California. In October, please. Right. All right. <laughs> just put it out there. What I love about that, though, is that I I think sometimes people hear these stories about people making these enormous changes to their lives and, you know, from the outside, particularly once it's already happened or in the process of happening, it looks easy, you know, and even if you're really open and honest about the process, it looks so much easier than the reality. It's like anything, you know, anything difficult. If someone on the outside is is looking in, they don't see like, everything that's involved in it. And what I loved is that it wasn't easy and it wasn't straightforward and you didn't wait until you had all the answers. Like, you just, you waited for, you know, an, like, an integral piece of the puzzle to fall into place. But after that, it's like, let's just do it and see mm. and you know you put faith in the process and you put faith in the fact that you're making this decision on for really good reasons and if it doesn't work out the way you're envisaging then that's okay too but i just i think so many of us wait until everything is aligned perfectly for us to say yep let's go let's do it and you guys didn't do that like there was enough alignment yeah. there was enough 
you know, synergy. There was enough, like enough reason, but you didn't wait for everything to line up and say it. Because I actually don't think that that happens very often in life where things, everything is perfectly aligned and easy and we have all the answers before we jump in. Do you? Uh, I, I don't think it ever does. But the funny thing is, I think that part of me probably was that person before. Mm. Part of me was, I was very much a, um, let's put all the ingredients on the table and then I'll start to bake the cake. <laughs> you know what I mean? Let's, you know, I, give, me, give me all the details and then I'll give you my opinion because I was worried about being wrong. You know what I mean? And with this journey, I didn't know what was right and what was wrong. And I think that was the beauty about it. And another thing that we did was we didn't really think too many steps ahead. So we knew that we needed to find a place to live to make this happen. Once, that, once we got that, then we had to look at plane tickets. Then we had to look at visas. Then we had to look at, you know, warm clothes. Then we had to look at what we were going to do with our house and all that kind of stuff. But we didn't do it all at once. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? We kind of went stages by stages and then it felt like we only had this one task in front of us that we had no idea about instead of 20 tasks in front of us that we didn't have any idea about. I think, and that's really key. I mean, in this kind of decision, absolutely, but in lots of different changes that we make in life, like we so often look at where we are now and where we want to be, whatever that destination is. And it's so overwhelming to think about the 50, 60, 1,000 steps between here and there that we kind of get overwhelmed by the, the enormity of that whole process, whereas what mm. you guys did and what I think time and time again I'm hearing and have experienced myself, if you can see the step in front of you, just take that one <laughs> and then the next step will become clearer as you get closer to it. You know, And I think, mm. I think that that requires a certain amount of sitting and being okay with uncertainty as well, which I think a lot of us struggle with because we do want to know the answers. But how, how do you think you became the person who, who didn't need to see every step of the way before you, you took the first step? Uh, I think because the sea in front of me was so unknown. But it was, it was really interesting what you said there about like sitting with the uncertainty. Mm. Now, minimalism creates space. And what you fill that space with is up to you. And sometimes that space can be to sit with things and to think about things. Do you know what I mean? And, and, and it's really weird. And, and I love it how you said it. It started with one item that we got rid of. And, and it's funny, I, I really can tie everything kind of back to that in a, mm. in, a, in a bizarre kind of way. But I think too for Inger and I, we, you know, we just took it one step at a time. We didn't know. And, and sometimes we thought, okay, once we do this, we'll then do that. Well, once we did this, we realized that the that was actually different to what we thought. Do you know what I mean? That second step is different once you take that first one. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, it's been an amazing journey. But I think another thing is that we often think that our, our current self, our present self, is, isn't as good as our future self. Our future self is always going to be better. And I've just started to think about, well, what was it that I wanted to do when I was, say, 20? You know, I would have loved to be married, have a child, and live five minutes from the beach. Mm. 
You know what I mean? And I've got that now, but we forget what our, what our past self wanted, even though we might have it as our present self. Yeah. And I think that's part of that is um, it's evolving and learning and, and, you know, the world opening up a little to us and seeing what other possibilities, what other possibilities there are. But I think the other part is, is kind of getting to know ourselves better as well. But I think there's so much there because, you know, yeah, it really begs the question. I mean, we could just constantly be seeking out what it is that we think that we're wanting when what we've had was, was it, you know, mm. as well. So it, it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's an onion, I think. <laughs> you just keep feeling layers. So what – one of the things that I absolutely love about the way you guys have chosen to travel is that you are, you're obviously going in a slow way. You're traveling in a slow fashion because you're, you're parking yourselves in places for you know, a month, three months, four months at a time, and you're having incredible experiences – and that's the way that Ben and I love to travel as well. Like we'll go to a place and stay, you know, we'll base ourselves there for two weeks or four weeks and, and just experience the area around us, get to know it like a local rather than, you know, try and tick off every single thing on the bucket list of that country or of that area. Do you ever struggle though with the opposite side of, of slow travel? Do you ever do you ever fear that you're missing out on on all of those experiences that may be close enough to you know to get to but because you're traveling slowly you don't do you ever worry about that nah not really like it's 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 funny that you say that because we've just come off a three-week road trip Mm -hmm. coming from one house hit to another and even in that three-week road trip there were we had two one week blocks that we stayed in particular places and there were other kind of days, uh, travel days throughout. And we stayed in those one week blocks because we like to kind of settle and, and, go to a coffee shop twice. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and and kind of start up a little bit of a conversation with people and you're back there a few times and it's like, oh, we're off now. See you later. But it, it was good to kind of have a little friend, even if it was just a fleeting moment. Um but what I've loved with the slow travel is what I get, sorry, what I get out of the slow tra- travel is so much more than that tourist photo that you're going to get mm. with fast travel. And, and it really comes down to the people um, and, and not just creating friends, but them inviting you into their lives and their homes and their dinner table, you know, caring, especially in Clam Lake. We, we were there for four months. And the people that we met, you know, as I said, Andy was the youngest, I was the second youngest. The median age was probably 65. But Andy, she just lit up that town. And the people that we met kind of through Andy was just amazing. And I think that the depth is so much better than the breadth. Mm. And, And you really only get that by taking time. Oh, I, I agree, uh, you know, to go deeper and to, like you said, something as small as going to the same coffee shop a handful of times and saying hello and someone recognizing you. I just think that there is something there and you're right. It's about people. It's not about the actual coffee shop mm. unless, you know, it's really good to find good coffee in the States. I will admit that. But, um, you know, it's it's about the people and the connections. Do you think that um, traveling with your daughter makes it easier to to connect with people? Oh, 
So I'll start by saying we tra- we travel with a child, not children. So I, I know I'm sure having multiple children would be a little bit more challenging. Andy's at a great age. Yeah. She's she's four and a half. She's curious. You know, she knows how to go to the toilet and do all that kind of stuff. Um, you can kind of reason with her. Um, you know, we don't go out um, late, but I haven't done that for four and a half years. So that's nothing new. <laughs> But but what I love about Andy is that when we were back home, and she's still a little bit like this now, she's a little bit shy at first, but with people her own age. I think living in Clam Lake with a lot of older people and being around us all the time, she's really – we'll go somewhere and it doesn't take long for her to kind of sit on somebody's lap, mm. a complete stranger or go up to someone and say, I love that hat of yours. And all of a sudden she's having a conversation. We then obviously have a conversation with Andy's new friend, but we also, everyone in the room kind of sees this and the room just changes all because of this four and a half year old little girl. And I love that. And so for me, and I'm obviously spending a lot of time with Andy, like her and I, I'm with her from sun up to sundown pretty much. And so we've kind of created a great little bond and I I personally love travelling with her. Yeah, I think, I mean, we've never felt anything other than incredibly lucky to be able to travel with our kids and, you know, like there's challenging days, of course, but I think that's that goes for adults and children mm. alike. You know, everyone gets tired, everyone gets kind of cranky or jet-lagged or sick or sniffly or whatever. Uh, I don't think that's got much to do with the fact that, that they're kids. I think it's just the fact that they're human, mm. <laughs> you know. But I, I, we agree. Like I think traveling with kids also I think you need to take it slower just by default because they they walk slower and they're interested mm. in the tiny details that we would just shuffle straight past. And they ask questions and they pat the dogs and, you know, they want to go on wildlife walks and, you know, they want to sit and watch the actual snowflakes fall onto their gloves and things that we would probably not pay as much attention to if it wasn't for the kids. I just think traveling with kids, if, you know, if you're able to do it is so rewarding um, and I think the other thing about slow travel is it doesn't need to be like an extended period of time either. I think sometimes people listen to me talk about it and they're like, but I don't have a month, you know, I mm. have a weekend, I have four days, I have like a, you know, a school holiday period, something like that. How do you think that we could adopt the idea of traveling slow into a small period of time? See, I reckon, and it's funny, I've been writing something that I'm toying around with at the moment, and it all, it all comes down to being a tourist in your hometown. Mm. And, and where I had that connection was once Inga and I decided that we were going to go away, we then kind of just discovered these things in our hometown that had been there all along, but we were in that kind of tourist mindset. And, and we just started doing these things together and obviously with Andy and it, w- and it was great. And I think the, the slow travel on a, on a shorter time frame again comes down to that mindset, not going to an area and wanting to see everything, actually kind of going to an area and just letting what happens happens. Mm-hmm. So you, can't, you plan, let's say it's for a week, you, you plan arriving and departing. And you just let what happens, happens in between. I love not having 
concrete plans. It's funny, I never used to be like that, but over the years I've become more and more, it just, it appeals to me more and more to not mm. have plans and to explore and go down the street that you wouldn't have driven down or get off the highway as you've written about recently, mm. you know, and, and really don't, don't be afraid to just stop and get out and go for a wander and you just have absolutely no idea what, what, you know, what's just off the, the well-traveled path. Uh, I think that's really, really good advice. I think, I think what the problem is sometimes is that we're, we're always so busy, and so we feel on holidays we need to be busy too. If if I don't pack everything in, then I haven't got my money's worth. Where sometimes if we take stuff out, that's actually where the gold nuggets are yeah. in 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 that space. It's like traveling minimalism, really. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> take out the clutter and the excess, and what you've got yeah. left is the really good stuff. Uh, well, what, it's true. Like when you yes. think about it, like a holiday, we go on holidays really to spend more time with our family. Mm-hmm. We can we can hopefully shut off the email and shut off work and here's a time as a family we can kind of have concentrated time. But then we try to fill it in, fill every little nick and cranny. Yeah. Like my parents, a, a bit of a segue here, but my parents have a caravan and my parents live in Castle Hill, Sydney, where I grew up. And they take their caravan for three weeks to Narrabeen. For the people that don't know, Castle Hill is probably about 30 or 40 minutes away from Narrabeen. They're both in Sydney. Narrabeen Caravan Park is right on the beach. It's a beautiful caravan park. If you go to that caravan park in January, the majority of people in that caravan park are from the northern beaches, which is the, the, the area that Narrabeen is in. There's one guy who lives four doors down and he goes in there to the caravan park for three weeks of the year. And he does that because if he sits on his doorstep, no one says a word to him. But if he's in the caravan park, people will come back and like have a conversation with him. The people that my parents, this is a a long segue, but the people that my parents have their, their caravan next to have these two girls. Now these guys, this family used to travel up to Queensland and go to all the amusement parks and it used to cost them a bomb because the kids always wanted an ice cream or they want this or they want that in the caravan park. They're playing with the other kids they don't want anything because they're making their own play. Mm. There's that space for them to do what they just want to do, whatever it is that day. And I think that is the slow travel. It is just allowing space for things to evolve and for the kids to kind of do what they want to do. Exactly. I love the story of the man who lives four doors down from the caravan yeah. park. <laughs> but how true is that? I mean, our, our mindsets are so different when we're – in holiday mode that we will stop and we'll have a conversation with a stranger and not worry that they want something or, you know, that they're there, that there's going to be any kind of like, you know, uh, impact on our life. Like we're so busy when we're in day to day mode and then he moves four doors up and people will sit and have a conversation with him. I think that's really beautiful actually. But it's, it's, it's so true. I've, I've witnessed it so many times over here. And this is what I say when, when I say I love people, the Clam Lake um, post office, right? I remember a day. I'm in that post office. Andy is – this lady comes in, Colleen, and she's like, are you Mike Campbell? And I'm like, yeah. She's like, I've heard about you. You've got to come over to my house for dinner. 
blah, blah, blah. I'll be in contact with you. I was like, okay, I've never met this lady before. <laughs> this other guy comes in and he just starts like holding his hands and swinging on his hands. And he's like, is this your daughter? And I'm like, yeah. We start talking, you know, obviously he understands I'm from Australia and blah, blah, blah. Um, he asks where I'm staying and he, he knows the person's house I was staying at. And this guy, Tom, just goes, have you ever seen a 1940s log cabin? And I'm like, no. He's like, do you want to come down to my house now and have a look at mine? So I put my four-year-old daughter in the car. I follow this guy to his house that I've never met before. And he shows me around his, his cabin. Now, if I was in a, a post office in Sydney and someone said, <laughs> hey, do you and your daughter want to come to my house for a little bit? I'd be like, what are you talking about? And it, which is really sad that I would have that, that notion. But, you know, when, when I'm in Clam Lake, it was fine. Another great story along those lines is when we're in Yellowstone National Park, we were staying in Montana in West Yellowstone. We saw these people with a dog. Andy and I love dogs. So obviously we went up to them and we're like, oh, hey, you know, what's your dog? We start talking to them, say our goodbyes. Then we kind of run into them at like a petrol station Again, um, inside Yellow, Yellowstone, like uh, the next day, we start talking to them. We're saying, oh, we're going to Breckenridge. They're like, oh, we're in Denver, Colorado. Have you ever been whitewater rafting? No. Well, we'll take you out whitewater rafting. And that's what we're doing on Friday. You know what I mean? And it's, yeah. it's just that's the beautiful thing. It's, it's weird when people seem to drop their guards. And I don't know. I, I, I can't explain it. But I wish we all lived like that. Oh, I, I absolutely, and um, I mean, I you see it in yourself as you as you just described this situation where you you you're always looking for an agenda or an ulterior motive or something like that when you're in day to day mode, and and then you just <laughs> allow yourself to see the like the human behind you know your agenda mm. or your your concerns, and it's I think it's amazing. Uh, yeah, I agree. I wish there was a way that we could just flip that switch and, and keep it like that all the time, how much less afraid everyone might be. Um, 100%. Yeah. I think before we go, and I, I could chat to you about your, your trip for literally hours longer, um, mostly because we just want to like join, <laughs> places and join you. Um, what do you think will be different when you get home? How do you think life will, will be different once you're back to that you know, for want of a better term, day to day. Ah, uh, the what am I going to do when I get home question that I've been avoiding for so long. Sorry. <laughs> uh, um, I think what's going to be different is obviously the way that Inga and I approach certain things. I think what's going to be really hard, and I'm going to be 100% honest here, is, you know, financially what I will do mm. when we get back home. Um, because, you know, I've learned so much being over here about myself, about the family, about what I value in life and things like that. Um, but over here we can survive mm. off Inga's company. And that's okay. I'm just going to segue again a little bit with this whole big life change. It, it wasn't as expensive as a lot of people might think. And what we did, if you look at your household expenses and you write all your expenses down, all your fixed costs down and what you spend kind of each month. And then you go, well, if I wasn't living here, 
Or if I didn't have that thing, would I still have that expense? So, you know, we had a household budget of X. Once we kind of cut out our insurances or our car payments or our mortgage and things like that, all of a sudden we were, you know, a sixth of Mm. what it was. So where I was going with that was um, before you think something's too hard, actually do a little bit of of the homework and you might think it's a lot easier. But that meant that we can survive off, you know, Inga's company over here, um, but we can't do that back home. So what I do when we get back home, we'll see. But I, um, it'll, it'll be really interesting. I'm excited and scared to see where that chapter unfolds. Um, but again, it's going to be a sea of the unknown and my last sea of the unknown worked out really well. Exactly. I have every faith that it's going to work out incredibly. And you probably, I mean, again, it's, it's kind of, it was kind of a silly question to ask really because what I was doing was asking you to trace those steps that you can't even you know, necessarily make out clearly um, until you kind of one step away from them. But uh, I, like, I have no doubt that it's going to work out fabulously because you guys are, you've shown through your, ability and desire to, to do what you've done over the last six months that like, you're willing to, to ask the difficult questions of yourselves mm. and make decisions and choices based on your answers, which is a lot harder than it sounds. Mm. So I think it's going to be, it's going to be really exciting to watch what happens with you. Yeah. Like before we, before we did this part of the process of coming over, we had so many questions and, and unanswered questions that, we just, I wrote a list of like, what's the worst that can happen? And I wrote down all of the bad things that could happen. You know, Mike won't be able to get a job when he comes back or Inga's business, the, the work doesn't come through or Andy gets sick. And, and then in the other column, well, if that happened, what would we do? Mm. And it was so good because we realized that, hey, we can overcome these really bad things if they do happen. And the likelihood of them happening probably isn't going to take place so what so when i come back i'll it'll be like like really what's the worst that can happen (laughs) you know if i have to pack shelves at coles to feed my family for like six weeks that six weeks was hell worth the 12 months that we've just had or that we would have had do you know what i mean and it's not it's not i don't know i'm i'm scared but i'm not really that scared to be honest well, you, you, I, I think that exercise that you just shared would be so powerful because you're like, well, okay, there it is. That's it. That's, mm. You know, that's the, these are the worst things that can happen and they're not insurmountable. Like they might not be comfortable, but that's okay. You know, and I think also to be able to weigh it up against the experiences that you're having now, I mean, because not everything's always going to come up Campbell, you know, it's like, yeah. like there's going to be ups and downs in everyone's life. So um, to be able to say already now let's weigh these good and bad things and and see that everything's weighted towards the good uh, because of the the experiences that you're already having is I think that in itself is incredibly powerful and very helpful oh 100% yeah it really is well Mike it's been so good to talk to you um, and I, I I can't wait to see what the the next half of your trip looks like because the photos of the first half have been phenomenal um, but thank you very much for talking to me Oh, thank you so much, Brooke. And, and honestly, it was funny when we started in this journey and, and I started listening to podcasts and yours is the one that Inga and I 
would listen to in the car together. We kind of bonded over this and learned so much. And it's funny, a lot of the things that we learned through the people that that you had conversations with and the lessons that you taught actually allowed us to get to this point. So thank you, really. Oh, no, it's a pleasure. That's like that's awesome. But um, yeah, that's such a nice thing to say. Thanks, Mike. For your ears. Who is that? Hi, Puck Pass.